Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. It's wonderful that you joined us on our podcast today. We're in a series called Deep Church from the letter of Jude in the New Testament. Just as there is a deep state that attempts to run America, apparently, and uh, there are similar things around the world and many other governments, I'm sure, there is also a deep church that is a religious uh, leadership and, and levels of religious leadership within Christianity that seeks to undermine Christianity, to in fact destroy it. Jude wrote about such things back in his day, and I believe Jude was written before the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, or he would have used it as one of the signs that God can in fact bring the heat. We're talking today about God brings the heat. You see, what the church excuses, God addresses, and he deals with it. Now, many people are confused when they think about God confronting sin and error, uh, doctrinal deviation, things that should not be tolerated in the church. And they kind of think along these lines, would a loving God judge sin and sinners and Christians who are believing something false or teaching something false? And the answer is, uh, yeah, he would. And Jude is going to bring that home to us today. Now, when we talk about bringing the heat, that might be, um, if you took a Major League Baseball, that might be a, a fresh relief pitcher in the ninth inning throwing 99-mile-an-hour fastballs at the batter. That would be bringing the heat. If you think of it in football terms, it might be a huge linebacker just smacking the daylights out of a running back. That's bringing the heat. Well, let me tell you, God brings the heat when it comes to dealing with false doctrine and living that is not in accord with what he desires among those who name the name of Christ. So let's go uh, very quickly here to the book of Jude. Of course, it's just one chapter. We've already had two episodes. I'm going to start, though, at verse 1, and we'll read all the way up to uh, where we're going to begin today. And I'll try not to make comments <laughs> on the verses as we go forward. You can listen to episode 1 and 2 in deep church and kind of catch up, but I, this will give it a context. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares 
who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So there you have it. That's what the book of Jude is about, and that's the problem. So as we think about this, let me give you some things that will, that will help shape your thinking as we go forward. We're talking here about defending the truth. And sometimes we talk about God being on our side. I like what President Lincoln said when he was asked about whether God was on the side of the Union or the Confederacy in the Civil War. And very wisely, Abraham Lincoln responded, what we should be asking is, are we on God's side? <laughs> that Boy, that nails it, doesn't it? And we, sh as Christians, we should ask the same thing. It's, it's more, much more than whose side am I on or, or which side are you on? It's, are we on God's side? Now, in preparation for this episode today, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I want to give you an example of the error creeping into the church. Every time I, I drive past a church here or there and I see advertised, very proudly I might add, out, out front of that church, and I've seen this at many churches, that uh, Christian yoga is offered, like exercise. And I think there are different uh, fitness groups that offer that and so on. But when a church is offering yoga, as some type of improvement for health, I just cringe inside. And the reason I do that is because at the very root of it, yoga is, is religion. And that is the whole purpose of yoga at whatever level it might be on. But I began to realize this week that there appears to be an invasion of kundalini yoga into the church at large. And it's actually a kundalini spirit. Now, I do not have time to explain all of that and what I learned this week. I'm just telling you that we're starting to see in so-called Christian worship services these same things that we see when people are possessed with the kundalini spirit, the serpent spirit in yoga. So, well, Ed, I'm just rolling out the mat and doing a few exercises. I'm hardly involved in religion. You, you got to trust me on this. And if you will go research what I'm talking about right now, your eyes, if you're a Christian, I believe your eyes will be open and you will get it. And maybe what you've done so far is in insincerity, you meant no harm and all of that. Well, hey, I've been called to help warn you about that type of thing. And that's just one example. But there is great error creeping into Christian teaching and into Christian worship. And we should be very, very aware of that and stand against that. Now, Let's go to verse 5, and, and we've, we've basically seen to this point in the, the letter of Jude 
that there are false believers, and I put quote marks around the word believers. They say they're believers. They claim to be believers. They may even truly believe they are believers in Jesus Christ, and yet they're following false religion, false teaching. They may be false preachers or teachers or very often false leadership within churches, seminaries, Bible colleges, uh, religious organizations, denominations, and so forth. They, they look real, but they're counterfeit, actually, and deceived. Maybe you're listening today, and you're one of those people. My prayer for you is that God will open your eyes, and you will see how you are, you are going down a wrong path, and you are taking hundreds or thousands with you to a Christless hell. And that's, I'm, I'm not a crier a lot of times, but if I was easy to cry, I would have tears in my eyes right now. Because you need to repent. And if you're not one of those, and you realize what I'm talking about, help me warn the people in your churches, your denomination, when error creeps in. This is what God is telling us in the book of Jude. Now, some of your churches and denominations, Bible colleges and seminaries and religious organizations, uh, using the analogy of Niagara Falls, what you're involved in went over the falls decades ago. You need to get out of that and you need to get into real Christianity, the the truth of the Bible, a Bible preaching, Jesus honoring church. And that's where you need to go. Don't keep trying to rescue a denomination that is rejecting Jesus Christ. They're ashamed of him and of his word. Let it go and move on. All right, Jude 5. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. So the question is, would, would a loving God judge? Uh, yeah, he would. And here's the first example. Jude says there were rebellious believers. And you can look back at in the Old Testament in the book of Numbers chapter 14 and see that. God judged those who were sprinkled among his people that did not truly believe in him. You know, quote marks again around the word uh, re rebellious believers. They looked like they were, they said they were, but in actuality, they were just fighting against God the whole time. In fact, of the generation of adults that God took out of Egypt, only two people were allowed to enter the promised land. Moses wasn't even one of those. It's a whole other story of why God didn't let Moses go in, but but only two went in because the rest were not believing God. They were not following what he said, and they died in the wilderness, never being allowed to go into the promised land. Well, there are rebellious believers. So he says here, 
I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, in other words, they were, they were rescued out of Egyptian bondage, afterward destroyed them that believed not. So we have an example here of rebellious believers being destroyed. I like what Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher, said. I'm quoting him. Satan knows right well that one devil inside the church can do far more damage than thousands of devils outside her bounds. And that boy, is that ever true? I saw while I was preparing for this episode today something else. And you can look this up on your own. I saw an ad online for the Templeton Religious Trust. And I want you to go check that out. But the ad basically was inviting all the various religions of the world or people who believe nothing at all to all continuously get together and I think what it was saying is basically create a new religion everybody can agree with. (laughs) That's what I got out of the ad. But uh, that's an example of error within professing Christianity. So there are rebellious believers, but there are also rebellious angels. You see, it's not just limited just to man whom God has created, but other beings, angels that God has created. Verse 6, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains, under darkness, unto the judgment of the great day. Now, one of the problems we have right here that's going to help you figure out whether you're really a believer or not is uh, he mentions angels. Now, if you're saying right about now, nah, 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 you know, I don't believe in angels. There's no such thing as angels. We have a problem then because Jesus Christ referred to angels factually. Jude refers to them. They're all over the Old Testament and the New Testament. They might not be what people typically think of, like, you know, flying around with wings. Uh, Usually when they appear, they appear as people. There are angels that are winged, for example, but, but many of them appear as people when they appear in the Bible. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness, under the judgment of the great day. They're kept, he says, in chains that they can't get out of in a gloomy place waiting on the judgment day of God. But who are these? Because here, I'm, I'm fixing to help you see whether or not you're really a believer in Jesus Christ in the true Bible or not <laughs> with what I'm about to say. Uh, Jesus Christ dealt with these angels many times in his earthly ministry. Now, I'm not talking about good angels, like the angel that strengthened him when he prayed in the garden on the night of his betrayal. I'm not even talking about the legions, the 12 legions of angels Jesus said that he could call to be rescued from having to go to the cross. 
I'm not even talking about those. Jesus dealt often with other angels in the New Testament, in the Gospels. We commonly refer to them as demons. These are the third of the angels that rebelled with Lucifer, who is an angel, and they had to leave heaven because of that. They are fighting against God, against his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, against Bible truth, against people being saved, against the kingdom of God. They are all working to try to establish Satan's kingdom on earth. So Jesus dealt with these demons. He cast them out of people. Jesus Christ is complete, total victor over every demon, period. But here's what I want you to think about. Well, if he dealt with demons in his earthly ministry, and he most assuredly did. Now, if you don't believe that, we have a whole nother set of problems about whether you even know Jesus Christ or you are a believer in true biblical Christianity. So maybe right now your eyes are starting to be open. Demons are real, my friend, and they hate you and they hate me. They hate everybody. I think they hate themselves. They hate so much. (laughs) But they are against us. Jesus dealt with them. Well, well, wait a minute. If, If the angels, which kept not their first state, but left their own habitation, like it says here, he hath reserved an everlasting chains under darkness under the judgment of the great day. How were they able to possess people and oppress them And Jesus had to deal with them. Well, that is a fantastic question. And I don't know if I have a completely thorough answer, but I'm going to give you a short one. Some of the angels are reserved that way, the especially evil ones. They may be the ones alluded to in Genesis 6 that cohabited with women. And you can read about that in Genesis 6. Maybe those are the ones that are kept under darkness under the judgment of the great day. But apparently, some demons are still allowed to uh, roam freely and are loose, and those are the ones that Jesus dealt with. But the angels that we're talking about here apparently didn't want to keep being angels. They wanted these women. And so God said, no, we can't have that. So they're imprisoned until they're finally, ultimately judged. You're already doomed, but sentence is going to be carried out. But here's what I want you to see. There are rebellious believers that are judged. And right here we see there are rebellious angels that are judged. Now this should be bringing you to a realization Wait a minute, Pastor Ed, if angels can't even escape the judgment of God, how could I possibly escape it? Well, we escape it, we are are rescued from that by the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He paid the price for our sin. So when we trust him as our Savior and Lord, then then we do not face the wrath of God. But these rebellious believers did, 
and so did these rebellious angels that we're talking about particularly right here. But he gives one more example. Verse 7, Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, that is, it, uh, they, they just became wanton, wantonly immoral in every way imagine, uh, imaginable. But it gets worse. And going after strange flesh, this refers to homosexuality, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Now, I'm not going to go into all the details of, of this story. You can find it in the book of Genesis and read all about it. But the, the, these people were so given to sin, so given to immorality, so given over to homosexuality, and that was apparently the final straw when they wanted to rate the visitors to Lot, and those visitors were actually angels, good angels. You can read that whole story there. That's not my main purpose here. But I'm just saying what Jude says. He says, and going after strange flesh are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So these are rebellious pagans. They had, according to extra-biblical sources, that is, writings that are not even in the Bible, that are outside of the Bible, within Jewish writings, as well as within, uh, for example, the Quran and other writings of that day. And referring back to this, these cities were hell on earth before and after God judged those cities. The, the sin within those cities was virtually uncontainable, and the cry of that city, those cities went up to God, and God had to act. Now, by the way, if, if you are a homosexual or lesbian or you are struggling with those issues, God loves you. And you can turn to Christ. Jesus Christ will save you and deliver you. So we, we have no animosity here. The Lord wants to be your Savior as much as He wants to be the Savior of someone who's an adulterer or, um, or just involved in rampant sexual sin or Maybe their sin is manifested by lying or stealing or whatever. It is not the worst sin in the world. It's not unforgivable. It's just a sin. It's not even a type of person. Jesus Christ loves you very much. But this, this whole subject here, this, this whole city, these cities that were located at the end of what we know today is a Dead Sea, that whole area was cataclysmically judged. Now, if you go there today, uh, that sea is called the Dead Sea. You know why? It's dead. Everything around that area is dead. Why? Because God judged it. And this is referred to in many other writings apart from the Bible, outside of the Bible. So we see here that God is able to bring the heat with rebellious so-called believers, 
rebellious angels, rebellious pagans. I mean, God can bring the heat. And, you know, that whole story of Sodom and Agora, uh, uh, archaeologists, man, they dig it. You get it? <laughs> that whole area is being excavated by archaeologists. As something happened there. Things are there physically, and the, the geography there and the landscape there that just do not match what we know that place was. It used to be a place everybody wanted to live because it was a well-watered area, pastures. I mean, everybody wanted to live there. It was fought over for people to be able to live there. And if you go there now, as one of my relatives did recently on a trip to Israel, they visited that area. It's just destroyed. It's still destroyed. So what's the main point Jude is making here? That when there are false believers, false preachers, false teachers, false leaders, false doctrine, immoral living, God brings the heat, baby. And he did it, you know, he did it with people that claim to be believers, rebellious so-called believers, rebellious angels. So if angels, if he can catch up with them, he can catch up with us. Amen. And rebellious pagans. That's sort of like, think of it this way. If people say, well, well, I don't care what you say. I'm not a Christian. I don't answer to God. Oh, yes, you do. And one day you will. But my prayer is that you never have to do that because Jesus Christ died on the cross that your sin and mine, our sin, could be forgiven because the price, the penalty has been paid. All we have to do is but trust Christ as Savior and Lord and our sin is forgiven. He comes into our life, we're given eternal life and, and we begin a a totally new direction, a totally, totally new life in Jesus when he comes in. So God brings the heat, and Jude gives three examples with rebellious believers, rebellious angels, and rebellious pagans. By the way, I want to be clear. When I say rebellious believers, not for one minute am I saying that these people are true Christians. They're not. They claim to be, they may even be self-deceived, but their life and their beliefs prove otherwise. So we're not talking about a believer losing their salvation. We're talking about, uh, like I said, just think of it with believers with quote marks around it, like, yeah, right. Rebellious believers, rebellious angels, and rebellious pagans, none of them escape the judgment of God. So how do these that are bringing in false doctrine and immorality into the church, how do they think they will escape? Well, they won't. So in verse 8, Jude says, Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Now what in the world is he talking about here? All right. They're always talking about their visions and their dreams. And people buy into that. And a lot of times people like this use that kind of manipulation so that others will buy into where they're leading them. So, so they're dreamers, but they defile the flesh. That is, they just, <laughs> I 
I don't even want to de- describe what this is, I think, really saying, but they're just, they're filthy. And I know one thing from paying attention to uh, uh, doctrinal error, that often there are moral issues in that person's life. And uh, it seems like if you dig far enough, you'll find out there are just moral issues with people who are preaching and teaching false doctrine. I mean, especially at the leadership level, um, that's very, very common. So as you think about all this, I want you to remember that ultimately the truth will win out. You just need to make sure you're on truth side, somebody said. And I, I like that. I think that's really good. So uh, likewise, these filthy dreamers, well, what do they do? Likewise, also, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion. That is, they despise the authority of God. Actually, of, of anybody who has God-given authority, they're always shooting their mouth off and have a very dismissive attitude toward proper authority, especially God's authority. In our society, you know anybody like that? Oh yeah, they are everywhere, baby. And then number three, likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Now, that is a phrase that may refer to celestial beings like angels. And in the context that we're about to, the next verse we're about to read, that would make a lot of sense. But these are just hard people to live with or be around. They're, they're filthy dreamers. They defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. They just have a filthy mouth, an arrogant attitude, and oh man, I can't wait to not be around them. It's kind of how, to, how you feel if you are dealing with them. Verse nine, yet Michael the archangel, that's singular, by the way, so apparently there's only one archangel, and that's not Jesus Christ, as some people say. What? Well, why would that, why couldn't it be Jesus? Because Jesus is not an angel. Jesus created the angels. Jesus is God, not an angel. Yet Michael, the archangel, so there isn't another one named Jesus, and this is this is not Jesus, it's Michael. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, now there's a celestial being, both of them are, of course, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not or, or dared not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuked thee. I like that. Now, there's a lot in this verse. Ed, Ed, where in the Bible is this talked about? Well, it's not talked about in the Bible, except right here. And it only has to talk about it once, right? Yet Michael the archangel, when continuing with, contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Now, if you look back in Deuteronomy 34, you'll find that God conducted Moses' funeral, and only God knew where Moses was buried. No other people knew, but apparently uh, 
the devil knew, and Michael the archangel, of course, knew. Why would the devil be trying to get the body of Moses? Well, in the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, remember there were two Old Testament figures that appeared with Jesus Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration in worshiping Christ. They weren't like with him as equals. He's God and they were there worshiping him. And one was Moses, right? And the other one was Elijah. So Moses was to be resurrected and be on this Mount of Transfiguration. So maybe the devil, I don't know if the devil knew that or not, but he was trying to just mess up God's plans. Does that make sense? And some believe that the two witnesses in the book of the Revelation, uh, some believe that that's Elijah and Moses again. Maybe so, maybe not. But if it is, obviously Moses had more work to do after, after his death. Does that make sense? But even there, Michael, who would have, if any angel was going to have permission, if anybody was going to have permission to, to just let the devil have it, it would have been Michael, right? Uh, but he didn't do that. But said, the Lord rebuked thee. This is only one God, amen? And Michael didn't try to act like God. But uh, you know what? That never troubles these false teachers. That doesn't bother them at all. I mean, in fact, if secretly in their heart, and some of them very openly, want to be viewed as God. So we see here that Jude is, has some very specific things that were concerning him in mind. And he wanted the believers, and that would be the people he wrote to in his day, like about uh, in the 60 ADs, I think, I don't think it was a late letter at all. I think if it, like I said, if it had been written uh, after Jerusalem fell and the temple was destroyed, I believe he would have used that as one of his examples. So I, I don't think that had happened yet. That happened in 70 AD. So this book is written, I think, probably before that. And, and what I'm trying to get you to see is even even within a decade or two of the birth of the church, there were already major problems with doctrine and morality. That's always been that way, and it will be that way until the Lord comes back, but it's going to get worse and worse and worse. If you are a true believer in Jesus Christ, then you are beginning to recognize this going on in our churches today. The false doctrine which leads to uh, false living, you are seeing that more and more. And it is our job to keep, you know, with the Lord's help, that we stay on track, but also that we defend the faith, that we earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints, as Jude says earlier. This takes effort. It's not popular, definitely not popular. And it may end up where you <laughs> you and your family are the only ones worshiping together. It could come to that eventually. Protect your church. If you've got a godly, Jesus-honoring, Bible-preaching pastor, pray for him 
stand alongside with him. Uh, make sure that that what your money supports is supporting things that are true and right. And if you find out that your money uh, given as unto God is going to other purposes, fight about that, you know, with, uh, with the Lord's help. Stand against that. But listen, we live in, in very difficult times. It's becoming harder and harder and harder to clearly see the path that we are to walk on. And yet the, the great thing uh, that I want to remind you of is in the book of Jude, we're told that the Lord, He guards us. He will help us. We, we do not do this in our own flesh, our own power. So that's all I have for you today. Just know that even though this all goes on, God brings the heat. He's fully able to do it. You just do your part. Keep yourself in the fear of God, the love of Christ. Reach others for Christ. And hey, listen, I'm happy to tell you that we are now on iHeartRadio podcast and we're on Spotify, Google Play, whatever Apple is now. <laughs> Tell other people about our podcast. They may not get Bible preaching wherever they are and they need encouragement. The, hey, the simplest thing to do is just telling go to www.dredhill.podbean.com. That's D-R, no period after the D-R, D-R-E-D-H-I-L-L.podbean.com. Thanks for listening. I hope this has been an encouragement to you. If you are one of those that needs some questions answered, need encouragement, you want to know how to become a Christian today, call 888-537-8720. 888-537-8720. God bless you richly is my prayer. I'll look forward to having you on our next podcast. <laughs>